and welcome to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. In the next several episodes, we're going to do a sermon critique from New Spring Church. I believe in North Carolina is where this church is. Maybe it's South Carolina. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. The, the pastor preaching the sermon's name is Clayton King, and he's filling in for Perry Noble, who is the senior pastor of this church. The sermon is on hell, and we're going to look at how Mr. King handles the doctrine of hell and the concepts he sees supporting his view of the doctrine of hell from scripture. So sit back, buckle up, and get ready for what should be a fairly interesting ride as we critique this sermon, Is Hell For Real? by Clayton King. What's up, New Spring? Happy Sunday. Glad to be with you today at church. My name is Clayton King. Welcome to every single campus at all of our locations. Honored to be able to preach one of our messages in this series called What Happens to You When You Die. Let me see a show of hands on every campus, every location. If you have either read the book or seen the movie, Heaven is for Real. Anybody seen that movie or read that book? The book was released, I think, about three and a half or four years ago. It's uh, written by a guy named Todd Burpo. He is a pastor of a church in Nebraska. And his son, Colton Burpo, uh, apparently died and, uh, from a, he was having an appendectomy. And he passed away. He died as a little child. And then when he came back to life, he said that he saw Jesus and met angels and met his father's grandfather. And it was turned into a a multi-million dollar movie. The book itself went straight to the New York Times bestseller list, sold over a million copies. And if you've ever read the book or if you've heard about it, you know that basically this is a story about somebody who says, hey, heaven is for real. I saw it. It was beautiful. It was awesome. I saw Jesus. I saw angels. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it's easy for me to believe that heaven is for real. I want to believe that heaven is for real. Now, I don't know everything about heaven. The Bible tells us a few things, but when I was a kid, I used to imagine what heaven would be like. I would imagine that heaven, first of all, would be filled with roller coasters. I love roller coasters. Second of all, I believed, now remember, I was a kid who grew up in the late 70s and 80s. I imagined that heaven was also a place filled with Dukes of Hazard type cars. Because I always wanted to go fast. Also, I have several spiritual gifts. um, Encouragement, evangelism, and eating. So I've always imagined that heaven would be filled with all-you-can-eat buffets of every sort of delectable kind of food you can imagine. Now, of course, we know from the Bible that what makes heaven a place that you would want to go to is that Jesus Christ is there. King of kings, Lord of lords, the master, the ruler, the sovereign God over all creation, and that we get to finally be with our God and worship Him forever and ever. Why is it so easy for us, as Americans, to believe that heaven is for real but not believe that hell is for real. The the idea of hell to a lot of people is offensive. It doesn't make sense. Okay, first of all, um, yes, he is absolutely right. The idea of hell is offensive. It doesn't make sense. And I wonder sometimes, especially in popular evangelical megachurches, if pastors don't seem to... uh, try to make sense 
of hell maybe a little bit too much. And I think that's what we're going to see here in this sermon from, from Clayton King, is somebody who is really going to pin down exactly uh, the doctrine of hell and all its ins and outs and why people go there and why people don't go there. And I, and I think we can get some clues from the scriptures about these sorts of things. But you're going to see him deliver this with a tremendous amount of bravado, as if, uh, at least from my perspective, that, that this is something that uh, should be something we uh, I don't I don't know enjoy um, don't li- you know he, he kind of mentions the fact here that we don't like talking about hell well of course not who would want to talk who would like to talk about that I personally don't and I believe in the doctrine of hell I don't like talking about it it's not a fun subject to discuss nobody likes to talk about uh, the scriptures evidently teaching us that there is a place that is a that is from our um, best understanding, um, a, a place in eternity that is separated from God, where there's uh, darkness, outer darkness, and weeping and gnashing of teeth, and and uh, uh, eternal fires, these sorts of things. These are not pleasant things to discuss, and, and they should be, at least in my opinion, should be approached with what Steve Brown calls tears. Remember when Jesus was looking out over Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that that you would repent, essentially, is what, what Jesus is hoping for. And they aren't repenting, and he weeps because they don't understand who Jesus is. And they aren't repenting from their unbelief, and he is he's grieved by this. And I think this is the sort of approach that is more apropos for discussing the doctrine of hell. We shouldn't like to talk about it. It's not something. It's, it's something we should resist. We, this isn't some pleasant uh, topic. This isn't some uh, uh, issue that should be taken lightly or with bravado or, or a cavalier attitude. It's an issue that should be taken very solemnly. It should be entered into with extreme caution, especially in the conclusions you come to about it. And it's not something that you can just. Uh, Approach in the way I think Clayton King's getting ready to approach the subject. It's a, it's a subject that yes needs to be discussed because we believe it's a teaching in the scriptures, but it's one that should be discussed within the context first of all of historic Christianity and the way it's talked about, um, but second of all, as Steve Brown suggests, uh, with tears. It's something that we should grieve over, and something that we should be reluctant. Uh, to talk about and not want to talk about and then when we do have to talk about it talk about it with tears let's listen on it doesn't make sense that a loving god would create a horrible terrible place like hell someone has asked me this question just recently how could a loving god send good people to a bad place like hell i want to answer not just that question but a few other ones today as we look to the scripture and we see what God has to say in the Bible about the reality of a place called hell. Is hell for real? As a matter of fact, that's the first question as you take notes that I want to pose to you today. Is hell for real? A lot of people believe heaven is for real, but why do so many of us push back at the idea that hell is also for real? And a lot of us don't want to think about hell because, honestly, we don't want to think about anybody ever going there. 
And so I want to just take you on a journey from Scripture today, but I want to start off by telling you a true story of something that happened two years ago. Two years ago, my dad died, and I was going through a really tough time, been very depressed, uh, watched my dad suffer for about a year and a half, and my dad finally passed away, went to be with the Lord. I preached my dad's funeral on Father's Day, and then my best friend, our pastor, Perry, uh, did something very kind for me. In many ways, I believe it kind of saved me from really going into a deep, dark place emotionally. He took me and another friend on a trip. He paid for it out of his own pocket. He took us away for just two or three days, just us three guys, and we ate some good food, and we relaxed, and we just did guy stuff. And we went to go see a show, and as we're leaving, we, were, we didn't have a car with us, and we were going to catch a taxi back to our hotel room. There were probably 20 people, maybe a few less, in line waiting on the taxi uh, at the taxi station. And so we're standing back there when an, an entire family, probably seven, eight, nine, maybe ten people, they just cut in front of all of us. And it was me and Perry and our other friend, and, and then there was a bunch of people in front of us and a bunch of people behind us. And the minute that large family cut in front of everybody, what do you think happened? Everybody starts losing their mind. Hey, wait a minute. What do you think you're doing? That's not fair. I spoke up for Perry. And I said, excuse me, people, there is a line. And it's way behind us. The people in front of me obviously weren't raised the way I was raised. They were not quite as respectful when they said that. Immediately, as soon as those people jumped in front of us, our sense of justice was offended. Why is it that we all want justice when somebody does us wrong? But we don't believe that God has a right to justice when we do him wrong. Okay, so this is the first major problem I see with Clayton's sermon. He compares the doctrine of hell and God's justice to our sense of injustice when somebody cuts in line. Right? So, now, parts of the sermon are going to be extremely harsh and hard to hear. And he's also, in my opinion, completely preaching the doctrine of hell incorrectly. Um, again, with a, with a cavalier attitude that's not with tears, that's not approached with gentleness, and in a way that helps everybody to understand what's going on. It's going to be manipulative. It's going to try to scare people into making a, quote, decision for Christ. And at the end of the day, it's, it's just, it's not Christianity. It's not historical Christianity. It is American evangelicalism in the 21st century. And here's where it all starts. First of all, he severely underestimates God's sense of, sense of justice. Let me read something to you real quick from 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart. That's their first mistake right there. That's not to be done. The ark is to be carried, if you recall. Anyway, they placed it on this ark, that it, they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Yuza and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it 
with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So this is something that's very difficult to understand. This well, first of all, they, they shouldn't have had the ark on a cart, right? That was against the rules that God had set up for the ark of the covenant. They should have been carrying it on these poles. If you've ever seen, if you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you see them stick those poles through the ark when they find it and carry it up. That's how it was to be carried. And actually, what happened is they just, for whatever reason, they decided to put it on this cart, and the the oxen stumble, and Uzzah um, reaches out towards the ark to steady it. You know, he just he doesn't want it to fall, and it seems like this would be at least a good thing but no this is God's having none of this and, and when Uzzah touches the ark God strikes him dead because of his irreverence and he dies and and David's ticked off at God now uh, and it literally says the Lord's outburst against Uzzah right so God's sense of just this is not a move of justice on God's part, in my opinion. This is also not easily explicable, as is somebody cutting in a line, something simple as that. God's justice, God's retribution, God's punishment of sin is not something that we can really even completely get our minds around. In fact, my... Just last week we had Mr. Michael Harden on, and this is one of the, the points that we very much disagree on, that God punishes sin. Okay? And he dis, he rejects it. One of the reasons he rejects it is because it just doesn't make sense in the light of, as Clayton even mentioned here, a loving God who we see most clearly through Jesus Christ being a retributive, punitive God. Michael Harden would call that a Janus face, a two-faced God. I don't agree with that. I see it a completely different way. I see, in some ways, I see how God can punish sin, but but I also see how there is there is something mysterious about how God deals with sin and irreverence and unholiness. And this is the main point that Clayton is going to miss. He's going to miss the fact that the main factor, the main issue with us being in God's presence is his holiness right we are very far from holy and what's interesting about that word is if you look at it um, let's just look up Isaiah 6 real quick this is Isaiah's vision right in the year of King Uzziah's death I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple seraphim stood above him each having six wings, and two he covered his face, 
And with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, it's, it's, very, it's difficult to even render a translation of that word, holy. It means essentially set apart, a holy other, completely different. And so when we approach something like how God is going to deal with us humans in, when it comes to eternity, he is completely different. He is completely other. Holiness doesn't have to do with morality, although it does include that. Holiness does not have to do only with justice, although it does include that. Holiness does not only deal with mercy or love or any of the other single attributes of God. Holiness encompasses the otherness of God. And this is the big issue with us um, being able to stand unmediated before the Lord God Almighty. Let's look at another passage that will really show us this. Exodus 33, starting in verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing of which you have spoken. Moses has asked him, I, I want to see your face. <laughs> okay? And, and God says, uh, no, um, you cannot see my face, but here's what's going to happen. I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then, he's, then Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. And here we go. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Another very interesting verse there. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Why? Why can Moses not look on God's face? Because of his holiness, which we cannot completely explain, even with all of the attributes of God. Okay, so for Clayton to say that somebody cutting in line is like God meeting out justice on the last day and sending some people to eternal punishment and some people to 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 rule and reign with God in the kingdom of heaven is not even touching the subject. It's much deeper. It's much more mysterious. It's much more uh, mind-boggling than that. God's holiness, in fact, the Jewish people saw God as so holy, so set apart, they wouldn't even pronounce his name. In fact, when, when you see the word L-O-R-D, and most of you probably know this, when you see that word in the Bible, all capitalized, the word is Yahweh, with the, the Y-H-W-H, the unspeakable name. In fact, the Hebrews so reverenced that name that they wouldn't even speak it. It just became those four letters. That's that's that gives you a glimpse of what kind of holy God we're talking about here. So the problem the problem with us standing unmediated before God without the imputed righteousness of Christ on us is not that God is meeting out his justice and you know well you've done bad all your life and so I am going to um, punish you in accordance with that no that's part of it but the big issue is is that we without jesus christ we cannot stand in the presence of god and i wonder on that day now obviously in the new testament 
Jesus talks about, and he uses many parables to talk about the end times, and he talks about this place of outer darkness where you talk about the, um, you know, the bridegroom and the, and the wedding feast and the, and the, and the person with um, the wrong the, not the, without the proper clothes on is cast out into the outer darkness you talk about um, the sheep and the goats where they'll be cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and those sorts of things and, and Jesus talks about Gehenna this this place outside where the, where the trash belongs where, where the things that get thrown away are put right but I wonder and I'm sp- completely speculating here but I wonder if on that day those who do not are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ will will run <laughs> to the outer darkness. They will not be able to stand before the holiness of God. Only those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ will be able to stand before this holy God. And again, it doesn't just deal with his justice, although that's there. It doesn't just deal with his mercy and love and and perfection and these sorts of things. Holiness is something we cannot explain. And I laugh sometimes when when uh, people talk about well, we should have we should live holy lives. What they mean is we should live moral lives. I don't I don't disagree with that. But holiness is something reserved exclusively for God Almighty, and the only way we have the holiness of God is through what Jesus did on the cross for us. Right? So it's a much bigger deal, in my opinion, than Clayton is bringing up here. It's, 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 it, it's, to me, this is, a, this is almost a textbook... Uh, he's getting dangerously close to the textbook definition of blasphemy. Right, so when Clayton is describing God meeting out justice in, in the end times, in the, in the eschaton like this, this is a very capricious God he's talking about here. And he is not doing justice to the biblical God as, as understood by historical Christianity. In, in fact, he's doing violence to it. He's not even coming close to describing God at all. When you talk about, when you look in the scripture... And you talk about God's justice. God's justice is two things. That attribute of God. All right, and I know this is something we've come to really, we really like to say this in, in, in American evangelical. Well, God is just, so you know he's got to punish sin at the end of the day. Yes, that's part of it. But the big issue is the holiness piece. We cannot stand before a holy God. Why? I don't really totally understand it. <laughs> um, but, but we can't, but... Exodus is clear here. You cannot see God and live. You cannot see God's face and live because of his holiness, because of his glory. So God, back to God's justice. God's justice is two things in the scriptures. One, it's restorative. Okay? When, when God speaks about justice, when the scriptures themselves speak about justice and being justified, you're talking about restoration. In other words, God doing what he needs to do to take wayward people, sinners, 
and return them to himself. Okay? It's also protective. Those two things. I, that's, that's what I see in the scripture as God's justice. It's restorative, A. B, it's protective. So for, for me personally, if God has to discipline me and, and mete out justice, like what, like what I do with my kids. If you don't, do, don't eat your meat, how can you have any pudding, right? That's, that's the justice that gets, that gets dealt out around the Garnett household, uh, you know, day in and day out. All right, this is, this is the condition um, in order for you to move on. And it's not a condition for my love. But it's it's a discipline so that my children are are restored to a proper status. Okay, it's restorative. God's justice is restorative. The second thing God's justice is is protective, and he this is something he expects expects us or, or, or has called us to or has ordained us for is to participate in protecting those who cannot protect themselves. That means feeding people who can't feed themselves. That means Clothing people who can't clothe themselves, that means helping people who can't help themselves. Widows and orphans, that whole issue, that is that is very closely tied into justice, which is all over the scriptures. And this is what God's justice looks like. We can very clearly see that in the scripture. But in eternity, in the eschaton, heaven and the, the doctrine of heaven, the doctrine of hell, is based on something wholly different. It's based on God's holiness, which, yes, is wrapped up with his justice and mercy and grace and, and his declaration that sin will be punished, as St. As Paul teaches us, the wages of sin is death. Okay, So what you're owed for your sin is spiritual death. Right? And, and, and that's what is deserved. And that's what will be given. So that's part of the deal but it's not the whole thing the big thing is God's holiness and this is something Clayton just doesn't even bother to mess with he, he the God he's describing is not the God of scripture it's another God it's a capricious God who says well because you cut in my line I'm going to send you to eternal punishment God is not that capricious and it's he is not demonstrated as that cavalier throughout the scriptures. It's something much more deep, much more profound, and much more mysterious than something as simple as having somebody cut the line on you. listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at discussion at godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash godstillspeaksthroughjackasses and follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at jesusjackass. Please rate and review the cast on Stitcher and iTunes. That helps us quite a bit there as it gets us a little higher on the playlist with those folks and tell your friends about the cast, especially if you're a little shy about sharing the gospel. Plus that your friends will laugh when they hear you say, God still speaks through jackasses. I may fold it proud, deep and furrow proud, uncanny and so clever, it's our newest plan ever, got to get
All third-party material is used under the authority of the Copyright Act of 1976, 17, Section 107, Fair Use.